He called me Satan. Can you believe that? Those must have been the first words out of Peter's mouth to the other disciples that were there. And if they weren't the words coming out of his mouth, I'm sure they were in his, his thoughts. As he looked at Jesus, and Jesus was looking right at him and said, Satan, get behind me. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, he's gone from being called the rock to Satan. It's uh, quite a change in status. You're no longer the rock, or at least right now, Peter, you're not acting like the rock that I first thought that you were going to be. You look like Satan. And you need to get behind me because you're not thinking about the things that are important to God. You're thinking about the things that are important to Peter. What happened in Peter's life? Why the change of names? Well, Jesus had His reason for saying what He did. In fact, it seems like Jesus always has a reason to say what He says, even if we don't understand it. He wasn't being childish, or He wasn't condemning Peter. He wasn't even being mean to him. Get behind me, Satan. No, what He was doing was calling Peter out on his wrong thinking. Again, this seemed to happen quite often with Peter. But this is the first time that we know of that he calls him Satan. And what he was doing was calling him out on his own agenda as well. And I'm sure Jesus was a little mad. Okay, I, I'm sure Jesus was really mad, even taken aback for a moment, that this leader of his who had been following him for some time, had been traveling with him through the various cities and the different circumstances and the different situations, this leader that he was depending on was still obviously missing what Jesus was all about. There is already that sense of betrayal. Peter, you're my friend, you're my follower, you've been with me, you've heard me talking, and see, you have seen me do all kinds of things that relate to the kingdom of God, and now you're wanting to do something different. He just didn't get it. He was hearing the words of Jesus, but they were getting caught in the filter that Peter had for his own agenda. We all have those filters, don't we? We hear certain words and we filter them through our own minds and our own um, ways of thinking, and then we conclude what we want to conclude about them. And that's what Peter was doing. Jesus was trying to work this filter out of Peter and to give him a whole new one. Peter was zealous in his love for God, and he had very different ideas about how the kingdom should go. Jesus lost Peter at that word suffering. That's where Peter began to depart. As Jesus earlier in this passage is describing what it was going to be like for him, that he was going to lose his life and, and suffering was going to come, Peter's saying, no, you must be wrong, Jesus. That wasn't in his plan at all, at least not in Peter's plan. Suffering was what they had done all along. They had been suffering as a people under Roman powers and under other foreign rulers for so long. Jesus, that's not what you're about, is it? I mean, that, that just doesn't make any sense. Jesus must be wrong, he thought. And we can just imagine the frustration on Jesus' part with Peter's misunderstanding. We've all been there before when we've had a friend that's been walking with us through something and, and we think that we're together on the same page only to learn that that person has a completely different understanding of reality than we do. Dietrich Bonhoeffer came to understand more of what Jesus was all about in suffering. And if you know the story of Bonhoeffer, you know the suffering that he went through. As he continued to uh, stay in Germany, he wanted to be with his own congregation uh, during the, the uh, Nazi regime and, and all that was taking place there with the Holocaust. He wanted to stay 
and be with His people. And He stayed in the midst of suffering. He wrote this. He says, In a world where success is the measure and justification of all things, the figure of Him who was sentenced and crucified remains a stranger. This kind of plan that Jesus was explaining was strange. It didn't really measure up to success and what Peter and what other people around him thought was success. Jesus was becoming a stranger to Peter. The closer that Jesus was getting to Jerusalem, the closer He was getting to the cross, the more strange it seemed. And this would continue until after the resurrected Jesus greeted Peter. Remember He cooked breakfast for Peter as Peter is out there fishing, trying to go back to normal, and Jesus is there on the shore and Peter jumps out of the boat and swims to the shore and re-engages there with Jesus. But until then, there is this strange relationship that goes on. Rather than call Peter other words for the evil one, I mean, he could have said Beelzebub and come out with all, you know, this whole list of names for Satan. He gives the counter to what Peter is really wanting. He gives the true path. To the kingdom. He stands before Jesus, before Peter as the way, the truth, and the life, or the path of life. He says, if, anyone, uh, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Can you imagine? I mean, Peter's already heard about suffering. And here Jesus is talking about self-denial and picking up your cross and following. He obviously sees where Peter is headed with his own agenda. And he's set out to correct it with a simple yet profoundly blunt challenge for his life. It was a call to action. It was the complete opposite of what Peter had in, in mind for his own life and for what ministry would look like. And he is no doubt thinking of a political overthrow. Some say that Peter was a zealot. And he was a part of a group of people that they were ready to take over the kingdom, even with violence and slipping in the dark of night and doing some executions and, and all kinds of things to be able to get past the Roman government. Peter was looking after himself. Maybe even thinking of what position that he would have in the new regime. You remember some of these arguments that the disciples had about who would be first in the kingdom. and they were uh, Two brothers were going back and forth and, and arguing about this. And Jesus you know, just looks at them thinking, you guys have completely missed it. Whoever is first is going to be last. And whoever is last is going to be first. Whatever he was thinking, it wasn't about suffering. And it sure wasn't about losing his own life. That's the last thing that Peter wanted for himself. Cynthia Bergeau, in uh, her book, Wisdom Jesus, she has a great way of putting the kind of effect that Jesus, uh, his plan and his pathway had on those who hear it. I read this quote this past week and it just it grabbed my attention. I've been thinking about it all week. As we actually taste the flavor of what he's teaching, we begin to see that it's not proverbs for daily living or ways of being virtuous. He's proposing a total meltdown and recasting of human consciousness, bursting through the tiny acorn selfhood that we arrived on the planet with into the oak tree of our fully realized personhood. It's not about being virtuous and it's not about these little tidbits of 
of helpful information to get through a day. What Jesus was doing as he stood before people, as he told parables, as he uh, had compassion on people, as he talked with the Pharisees and the other religious leaders, what Jesus was proposing was a total meltdown and a recasting of what it means to be human. And this is why people would walk away thinking, I, I can have no part in this. This bit about self-denial and taking up a cross, that's not what I had in mind. And Jesus would just let them go. But for those who would continue on, Jesus would work with them on this meltdown. I think Peter was having a meltdown. We'll look a little bit more closely at Peter's life as we get to the cross here in a few weeks and see what that looks like for him and how he came out of it. But this gospel thing is really a lot more than we sometimes think, isn't it? If I asked you to define the gospel, I'd probably, probably get a lot of different answers here today. Probably all of them correct, but probably all of them in and of themselves would not be a complete statement about the gospel. It is much more than attending church for one hour a week. It goes, away, uh, it goes way beyond the money that we put in the offering plate, although don't stop doing that. It far surpasses right belief and a walk down the aisle of a church. We tend to think, as, especially uh, in churches like ours, where we have an invitation at the end that if you walk down the aisle and you make a decision for Christ, then that's it. That's the gospel. And that's what salvation is all about. Certainly that has a role in, in that we take a step in our faith as we continue on in the life of, of Christ. But there's more to it than that. Certainly there's more to it than that. If we aren't careful, we can have the right beliefs, but still end up with a gospel of our own making. One that has a bias toward our ideas of the kingdom, to our goals and to our agendas. Christians have done this throughout all of, of the history of Christianity, and churches have done it. And it is so easy for churches to step right into that. I wondered this morning, what would you have been called had you been there that day with Jesus? What name would He have picked out to, uh, to give to you? It's kind of a scary thought sometimes, isn't it? What we need to hear from Jesus today is this same simple challenge. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Me. Those same words that Jesus put out right in front of that crowd, they come to us today. It's just that simple. Take up your cross and follow me. Yet it is just that hard. It could be that we have learned self-denial. Doing well with this one thing more than the others. We can deny ourselves of all kinds of things. In fact, during the season of Lent, you might be fasting from something. Maybe you've given up TV or maybe you have given up Diet Coke. Again, I still don't understand that one. Maybe you've given up coffee. That's a sin. Maybe you've given up... Uh, a certain TV show that just, uh, you, you know, that's an addiction for you and you've got to turn it off. Maybe you have given up something that you don't want to share with anybody else, but you and God know and you've, you have sworn off of that during this season of Lent with the hopes of swearing off of it forever. But we can do pretty well with this one thing. It could be that we have our cross with us, bearing with it as, as we go through life. Maybe you are there. Maybe that is something that you're doing. Yet it could be that we haven't yet even started following Jesus. As much as we think that we're following Jesus, we haven't even started. We say we are following, and we have led people to believe that we are. 
But we so often wander off into our own pathways. And we quit looking at where Jesus is leading. These days of Lent provide us with an opportunity to do some self-examination of our footsteps, to, to see if they're following in the direction of Jesus or if they have trailed off in a completely different direction. The texts that we are hearing help us to be aware of who Jesus was and, and what He was all about as He walked this earth. And if, again, if we're not careful, we just skate right through this season as we build up to Easter. And we don't pay attention to what the, the Gospel is telling us, like today, the Gospel of Mark. What Mark wants us to know about the life of Christ. If we're not careful, we don't get into the context of what's going on with Jesus. The political context, the economic context, the, uh, the religious context that He is dealing with. Now we get into the story this time of year. Inside the pack of the disciples. Into the interactions that, that Jesus is having with the people around Him. There are so many stories that we'll be looking at. And I think about that story of the woman who uh, was a notorious sinner. And she goes into where Jesus is dining with the Pharisees. And He's at the Pharisees' house. And she comes in and she takes her perfume and she breaks open this alabaster jar and she pours the perfume on the feet of Jesus. And it makes us wonder what it was like to be her. It makes us wonder what it was like to be the Pharisee. There are so many opportunities that we get to enter into the stories that we see. Will you allow this time before Easter to be such an opportunity for you? Will you keep up with the readings of Scripture? Will you pay attention to what's going on in the life of Christ? If we do, we have two criteria for self-examination. The first is denial. Jesus was obviously living a life of self-denial. I mean, he's just the, uh, the picture of self-denial. And he called his followers to do the same. For them to truly, bless you, for them to truly follow him as the way of God in the world, they would need to deny themselves. And we are no different today. For us to follow Jesus today, we must practice this same kind of self-denial. This practice looks like different things for each of us. For some, it is avoiding something that you know you can't handle. A donut. A person, a website, a drug, or a drink. For others, it is saying yes when you want to say no. And for some, it is saying no when you want to say yes. For some, it is taking a meal to a hungry person when you would rather be feeding yourself. It is keeping a commitment to tutor a child when you have so many other places to be and things to do. For many, it is letting others have their way their time, their voice, their way of being, rather than having yours. There are so many ways that we can practice this self-denial. And if that criteria wasn't enough, Jesus provides another. He talks about cross-bearing. Jesus wanted to be sure that His followers understood that their way would be one of difficulty and suffering. It would involve taking up a cross. Again, we are no different. We are no different in that we really don't like to hear about crosses, do we? The Romans would put crosses out at the edge of the city. They would take criminals or uh, political revolutionaries, whoever they didn't like, they would take them and nail them to a cross at the edge of the city so that if you were coming into that city, you would understand that there is a code of behavior in that city. And that if you don't behave, that's what's going to happen to you. As Jesus is talking about picking up their crosses, this is not something that that they wanted to do. And it is not something that we want to do either. We certainly don't relish the idea of carrying one. 
And if given an option, we take the shorter line, the easier way, the comfortable choice. I've been in traffic with some of you, and I've seen how you do this. But Jesus didn't call us to be comfortable. He didn't call us to take a place in the shorter line. He didn't call us to be first and foremost. He didn't call us to sit around and to be served. No, He envisioned a church familiar with suffering, with persevering through discomfort, standing behind others, and losing their lives. Are you with me? doesn't sound too good, does it? But this is the life that Jesus called His disciples to follow. Now that's a whole new way of thinking. It is one that will get you into trouble. And I always like to say holy trouble. Because if you're in that kind of trouble, it's a fun kind of trouble. But it's one that will get you into trouble. One that will take up your time. One that no one else may be able to understand. It's one where you may find yourself patiently listening to an elderly person tell the same story every day. It is one where you enter the wounds of post-traumatic stress disorder, of a vet who is trying to forget what never seems to go away. It is being a church where you bring toilet paper for people who've run out. Not just any church talks about bringing toilet paper. I see we have some. It is one that makes us peculiar people. People with a different purpose. Folks who walk a different path. This cross-bearing kind of life while sounding like a plan for failure, ends up being what life is really all about. Thomas A. Kempis wrote, Jesus has many who love His kingdom in heaven, but few who bear His cross. He has many who desire comfort, but few who desire suffering. He finds many to share His feast, but few His fasting. All desire to rejoice with Him, but few are willing to suffer for His sake. Many follow Jesus to the breaking of bread, but few to the drinking of the cup of His passion. Many admire His miracles, but few follow Him in the humiliation of the cross. May we be in that few. Our God, we thank You for this challenge of a lifetime. 